actions, antidotes. Your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. The purpose of this podcast is to inspire you, the listener, to go for whatever it is that inspires you, whatever it is that you would like to move on yourself. And I'm doing this through sharing a series of stories from people, people from all sorts of different backgrounds that have a story of their own in which they have gone for something and created something new and inspiring in this world. That being said, today's guest is Joyce Feustel, who started her own company that teaches baby boomers how to use social media. Those who know me best know that I spend most of my life around other millennials. And for us millennials, social media kind of comes second nature to us. It comes very natural. It came to us either in high school or for some of us even earlier in life. But for a lot of baby boomers who began their lives in days before people even had personal computers, let alone got them connected to the internet, if you remember that whole, you've got mail phase if you're old enough, people who were born before that, it doesn't come quite as naturally. So without further ado, I bring you Joyce Feustel and her baby boomer social media business. Thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, it's really great to be here. And it's always wonderful, Stephen, to have an opportunity to share what I've learned about teaching people and baby boomers in particular about social media, Facebook and LinkedIn primarily, and just providing maybe even a few tips over the course of our conversation that someone would say, well, I came to be inspired and that was good, but I also got a couple of practical ideas from Joyce. How about that? Yeah, that that sounds really nice. And so is your customer base, are they pretty much all baby boomers or do you kind of expand a little bit beyond that particular generation range? Yeah, really good question. I brand myself with the name of Boomer's Social Media Tutor as a baby boomer myself, born in 1948, an older boomer, to my fellow boomers. And let's just get the years straight for the listeners. Baby boomers were born between the years of 1946 and 1964. Therefore, most of my boomers, my boomers, my customers are boomers. That's my age group I really enjoy working with. That said, I've helped people as young as their 20s with their LinkedIn profile, college students even. So there, I can help people of all ages. And very few people go into LinkedIn and really hang out there. I compare it to Tinder, just to use a more up-to-date dating app, where you go swipe, swipe, swipe. You got your gal, your guy, whoever you're looking for. And you go off of Tinder. Well, at least I would hope you would, right? Because you're set. <laughs> now, with LinkedIn, my opinion is that don't quit LinkedIn just because you landed your job. Hmm. Or your business is doing better because you went and fixed up your profile and then you leave LinkedIn alone. No, you get so much more out of a site like LinkedIn when you actually hang out there and do stuff on it. Yeah. And I actually even noticed that there are some people who just pop in when they're looking for a job. They pop in whenever their current job is not going so well. And then there are the people who stay engaged regardless. And you, you can tell just by looking at how they're posting, they're not posting just to get a new job. You can actually tell that they're posting because they're genuinely interested in it and certainly seems to leave a better impression on, say, recruiters or anyone else who might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because LinkedIn is a place where you're really creating your whole persona, your work persona mainly, but also your opportunities where you've been involved perhaps in a volunteer organization and leadership some way. So you can get more of a 360 degree feel for somebody. And I think you're on LinkedIn, not just for you, but for other people. So when people see that you're active on it, you think, oh my gosh, there's Steven. Oh, he changed jobs. Oh, he's working at that job. Oh, that's great. Oh, look at what he's sharing. 
So I think of it very collaboratively rather than just what's in it for me. How do you go about when you work with your, your clients, your customers, when you work with them, do you have to kind of adjust their mindset and how they're thinking about LinkedIn as opposed to like, this is just the get a job site versus how you're describing it. It's more of a collaborative site to those of us that use it more intentionally will look at articles about trends and in industries and share them mm-hmm. and comment on them and things like that. So those are really good points to bring up and have me think through. First off, I would say my own experience is about 20% of my clientele are job seekers. About mm-hmm. 80% are business owners like myself. That's a little bit different approach to LinkedIn, but there are some overlaps between the two, especially regarding the posting and kind of what I call the schmoozing factor. But if you peel it back really to the core, particularly with the baby boomers, I'm often starting with a real attitude, with a mindset issue, which is I don't do technology. Yeah. I don't do social media. I don't like social media. Well, this to me is very small-minded because of the fact that social media is incredibly diverse. If you go from something like TikTok to LinkedIn, this is completely different worlds. We're talking almost like different languages and cultures so much. So I say to them, with LinkedIn, a little bit on LinkedIn can go a long ways. They see their children constantly on their devices, right? They spend so much time, many times a day, they're on their various social media. Whereas a baby boomer isn't going to want to do that. In fact, they still may be accessing it from their computer. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon. So I say to them, you can go on a couple times a week. I mean, the real serious business to business people, well, yeah, they may be on there every day, but you don't have to be. I would say maybe 10, 15 minutes twice a week a post once a week Mm -hmm. can probably do you. You really can. So I have them really start to get the point that LinkedIn is accessible. It's a matter of learning how to use it, which is what I help them with. And then after that, they can just think of interesting things going on in their life, influencers in their field. And I show how they can then share from their post or comment on them. So I think sometimes people, what's the word I want to say? They overthink it. They just think there's more involved to being involved in something like LinkedIn than there is. And then with Facebook, what's tricky there is boomers tend to have their work life and then their personal life. And in a little bit, again, of research I was doing, millennials like you can be more fluid. So what's challenging for me sometimes with Facebook is people are on there and they've only used Facebook personally. And then they say, no, I've got to use it for business. Really? Are people going to see my personal stuff? I go, no, not necessarily. But for me, I'm more like the millennial that way. I kind of blend them. And I have sometimes on my personal side of Facebook, I will share business related, but I don't want to piss many people off to be blunt and only talk about business. So I think there's also, depends on your business, depends on you. There's a lot of, I find so much of it is really just getting through this barrier of A, not wanting to do social media. And the other thing is, Stephen, not wanting to toot their own horn. Oh, yeah. That's actually a big issue for a lot of people that I, encounter even even people I know that are kind of around my age range where they'll say yes. like, I'm up for a job or something like that, but I feel like I'm I'm flexing or I feel like I'm trying to just like show out as opposed to really kind of just demonstrating what it is that I do and what it is that I do well. And so how do you usually get through to people who may have an aversion to to flexing or to showing off? Well, often they'll already have their website. So mm-hmm. that's a start. 
what I can suggest to them, say for their about section or their description or position descriptions and experience, is to take the language from the website and couch it a little differently mm-hmm. and talk about themselves in the first person voice. Often what I'll tell them, I'll take this about section from the website, reconfigure it a bit and email it to me. And then I can help them because I did major in English and well, it was another century, of course, it was many decades ago. But the point is that I help them to wordsmith it. So every sentence doesn't start with I. So that's one way is how you language it, I think, is part of it. The second thing to do is to get social proof. I know my daughter, who's 36, when she got married, she didn't have a single vendor at that wedding that she didn't vet out. People expect you to have folks saying good things about you Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. So you want to get recommendations or you want to get reviews of your Facebook page. And it's hard to ask, but you have to really suck it up and do that. And then once you have, say, a recommendation, you can take little snippets of it, perhaps not the whole thing, and then put that up, cross-list it up into your about section, Mm. into your position descriptions. So now it's not you being the only person saying that you rock. It's these other people, the clients and referral partners and other fans of yours. They're saying good things about you. I think that's another way to deal with that admittedly uncomfortable feeling about bragging yourself up. Well, it's interesting because it reminds me of almost every small business website I've ever looked at where you always see at the bottom of the page the logos of a whole bunch of companies that they're working with. I feel like that kind of is one way that people look into establishing that social proof, as you put it, right? True. People do want to know. I just imagine like anything anyone's going to do. If someone says, oh, I need to get a haircut and I need a good barber, you're going to want someone that your friends recommend or you know is going to be able to do the job well. And that's where kind of that getting started. And when people are getting started, Mm -hmm. it takes a little while to establish that social proof, which is how you get traction in in any market. You have to... Right. It's kind of a chicken and the egg thing. Right. You got to keep doing it and doing it. Yeah. And then eventually you get it. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it takes a while to get someone... Because you're going to start out, you're going to be relatively not well-known. No matter what you're doing, you're, you're not going to be well-known in that field until you, except for the few people who start businesses by like quitting the job with their company and like taking some clients over and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's like another mechanism. So you're saying in order to get started, people do need to like be willing to say, no, look at me. I am, I am awesome. I can do something really good for you. Mm-hmm. One thing I did when I started partly because I wasn't sure I was really going to cut it in this field, I would do free LinkedIn reviews for my friends. A lot in Toastmasters, where we're both involved, a speaking and leadership organization for listeners not familiar with it. So I'd ask them, I said, then want to do something nice for me because I insisted they not pay me. I called it my self-enforced internship. And I'd say to them, well, you can always write me a recommendation. Mm -hmm. So one way is do some pro bono work for people. Now you're getting practice, they're getting your services, and ask them real explicitly, say, it would help me a lot as I'm getting started. If you were happy with this experience, write me the Google review, write me a LinkedIn recommendation, write a review on my Facebook business page. That's one thing people can do. And that like kind of pertains to another mindset issue that I touch on quite a bit, which is that in the general standard employee mindset, everyone has this idea, you work a certain number of hours or you do a certain number of tasks and you get paid per delivery. And so essentially the reward, at least the monetary reward, always kind of comes right away. Whereas in a lot of entrepreneurial mindsets, you have to be willing to 
kind of delay that reward. It's almost an exercise in delayed gratification, which is mm-hmm. and saying when I say I use Instagram the most, because that's kind of the quintessential definition of instant gratification. But for entrepreneurial mindset, for anything you're going to do like that, you're going to work for a while, probably for free, even if it's just the work of setting up the infrastructure that you need to create your business and incorporating the LLC or however you want to incorporate it. And then months, years later, you usually get a bigger reward than you would from a standard employment. That's true. No, that really is true. And so depending on so many things, like were you working in that field professionally and then you started your business and depending on the non-compete clause when you leave, can you take some of those people with you? Best case situation, really, because you have this built-in group of fans and clients. Or if you're switching like I did to a completely different field, I was in sales for a private college serving the financial planning professional community. I had so much to learn. Like one of your questions you asked me ahead of time was what were your challenges? For some people then there were like me, A, they're still learning the content of what they do, which basically I did spend three years for what it's worth in a ramp up phase. So when I pulled the plug and retired March 2013, I retired into my business and I had clients right away paying clients because I had been building that infrastructure and doing a lot to get ready. I had the LLC. I had a lot of things going. I'd had my Facebook page for a year. I'd had my LinkedIn profile for much longer. I had been blogging for a year. I had my website up. So all those things, I had that in place. And then you got to figure out, well, how do you run a business? And I still am mystified about elements of that. That's for sure. Well, you need to get trusted advisors, get into, I would suggest, mastermind groups. There's plenty of things you can do for free. And then, of course, there are business coaches who on a monthly retainer basis can help you with a lot of the kind of the mindset issues as well as sometimes the practical issues. Let's back up and tell me a little more about what got you started. What inspired you to start the Boomer Social Media Tutor? You know, that's my second favorite story to tell outside of how I met my husband. So I always, which is a cute story about going to Chicago on a bus and finding these guys working at this meatpacking company and working there. And then there was my husband also working at the meatpacking company in Wisconsin. And you know Madison, Wisconsin, of course. At any rate, that's like the short version of that story. But at any rate, my second favorite story was March 2010. Our college, two months earlier, this College for Financial Planning that serves the financial planning community with distance education, had rolled out a Twitter account, a LinkedIn group, a Facebook business page. And we in the enrollment department, really functionally inside sales, were told, I don't mean ask, we were told that we sure better talk up social media with our current students and our potential students. And when we resisted a little, we were told, oh, yes, we meant to tell you, we're going to give you $5 for every Facebook like and $5 for every Twitter follow, $5 for every time someone joins a group on LinkedIn. So then we got a little more interested. And for me personally, who'd been on not Twitter, but LinkedIn and Facebook for about a year and liked them, I was so excited to talk about something different than what I was supposed to talk about, which is one of my challenges with sales my whole life and 17 years in sales. But at any rate, I really took to talking about social media like a duck to water. I'm 61 years old, mind you, Stephen. Now I'm 72. And my manager was 35. How old are you now? Uh, I actually just turned 39. Okay. 
So you're on the older end of millennials, like my daughters are. So at any rate, he was 35, just around your age now. And I'm 61, and he, I'm like the age of his mom and dad, right? And he said to me one day in March of 2010, now Joyce, he goes, since you're clearly so good at getting our students engaged with social media, you're top of that incentive heap every month, have you ever thought of helping other people in your baby boomer generation? I say God just channeled himself that day through Brent Sandberg, because to be perfectly honest, even, I don't know that I would have come up with this gig out of my own head. That's the real, it was the inspirational question. I think one of the mindset issues a lot of people encounter is this idea that you have to have the perfect, most original idea ever in order to make it in any business. That Otherwise, you're plagiarizing or you're entering a saturated market or something like that. Whereas oftentimes, the best ideas, the businesses that go are ones that are playing on some other ideas that were from before, or you have a market and you try to bring it to someone else. Because like, if only one person can have one idea, for example, there'd be no reason for me even to try doing this podcast because Tony Robbins has it covered for every single person ever. <laughs> but different people get messages out to different people in different kind of ways. And so not only are you saying, okay, here's an idea that kind of just came to me and you just ran with it, but also the social media idea, you're like, the baby boomers are largely not using it that much at that time. I know mm -hmm. are using Facebook now because they started wanting to see the pictures their kids take, but at the time they weren't. And so as you kind of went along this journey, what challenges and setbacks did you encounter? Did you encounter the standard naysayers? I believe I was very blessed, Stephen, because I had no one saying that's a bad idea. In contrast, they'd say, how clever, how interesting, how needed, how curious that you at your age, and I had not all gray hair back then, but a fair amount, would be sort of confident enough, you might say, to put yourself out there as a social media, maybe not expert, but tutor, helper, go-to gal. How cool is that? So I think that people are intrigued by it. The fact that I'm older and a social media consultant, trainer, helper, whatever. I had none of that. And in fact, I got involved fairly soon with a group called Women and Social Media. Colorado Women and Social Media. There's Colorado in that name. I'm stumbling for a minute. And they all could be like my daughters, right? But they treated me like we all called each other our social media sisters. And when I would stumble on things, like a new mom is like, oh my God, now what do I do? I would go to our private Facebook group and just ask them. And I always got my answers and they were so sweet and they never were in any way demeaning or like, oh, what do you think you're doing? They were so welcoming. So I think when you find your tribe, I'll call it overused word perhaps, but of your kindred spirits, of your colleagues, let's call them broadly colleagues, then that can be your kind of a support system, for lack of a better word, but the go-to people when you come up with things, I've had two times today when people brought things to me and I thought, you know, that's not really in my wheelhouse. Who else do I know who I could refer this person to? And then I know what goes around comes around, that those people would in turn refer people to me who are the kind of people who are the beginning to maybe intermediate users. So I think that helps a lot is to help people believe in you, who think you have something good going, and why not do it? Sometimes those are not your family members or your closest friends. And I'm recently reading a book that's called Tara Moore, M-O-H-R-T-A-R-A, -R -R -A, wrote a book several years ago called Playing Big. 
practical wisdom for women who want to speak up, create, and lead. So I'll say that one more time. Tara Moore, M-O-H-R, playing big, practical wisdom for women who want to speak up, create, and lead. And she talks in here about your inner critic and how too often women in particular can be going out and trying to get all this validation from people. So it can be very challenging. So for me, my own challenges were, I think, here's one of my big challenges. I am a real giver at heart. I've been involved my whole life in different kinds of volunteer organizations, Toastmasters in particular, the Speaking and Leadership Group. So I have to balance out my commitments in my volunteer side with my commitments to my business. So that's been challenging. Now, I've got the low-maintenance husband. I've got that going for me. So otherwise, that could be complicated because, you know, he's, he's a 72-year-old, like, regular retired guy, but he doesn't, like, need to spend much time with me. Very emotionally and practically self-sufficient. So mm-hmm. I'm lucky for that. But that's just kind of a tricky thing, I think, when you've gotten yourself, like, known within a certain circle. We're doing A, B, and C, and all of a sudden you think, well, maybe I can do A, but I can't do B and C anymore. That is a challenge that I, well, I have experience and witnessed other people experience. And part of it reminds me of the whole challenge of setting boundaries, right? How do I clearly establish within myself and articulate to others what my priorities are? What, yes. what matters more than what? Because yes. what I've found is that if you don't set your own priorities, someone else is, there's always going to be someone else that's willing to set that for you. Oh, that's, I can't say that any better than that. You really need to know what you're after and why you get up every day and where your focus is. That way, some other things can still happen. We have our family obligations, other obligations. We can let other people run our lives unless we choose to run our lives. That's true. You know, you're a person who started a business at an older age, and you're also working with a lot of people who started a business at older ages as well. Mm Do you think that moment when you're inspired, that moment you said March 2010, and a lot of your customers probably have a similar moment in mind where they can just rattle off like, Mm -hmm. September 17, 2016, Mm -hmm. this happened or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. That once you're inspired, it becomes easier to then go ahead and articulate your priorities, stand up for your priorities to others and not let other people run your life and dictate for you because now all of a sudden you have an inspiration. It's like, oh my gosh, I have a reason for wanting to have these priorities. It's clear. I know inside mm-hmm. me, I have no second guessing inside me. I just know that this is what I'm meant to do right now in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. If you don't have that fire in your belly, maybe you shouldn't have your own business. Yeah. I mean, bottom line. And then the more you're clear on it, the more you can just remove what's extraneous. I believe there's a concept called an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. I think some people have it from just little bitties. Often it's because their parents had their own business or had that kind of a spirit. I mean, I grew up on a dairy farm. That's a business. Mm-hmm. So my dad, my uncle, my mom, they had to make things go and be able to feed the family. And my dad had a side job selling seed corn to farmers. You know, say they planted the seed corn, someone's got to sell that corn to them. So that's what he was very sales oriented as well, met people easily. So it helped that I grew up with someone like that. I have started Toastmasters clubs. I've started professional organizations. I like to start things. Sometimes the operational side isn't always my strong suit. I'll say that. But I think in like multi-level marketing, if you ever talk to people, that's a business. Of course it is. And if they had something happen, whether it was a health issue or something else, they again are on fire with that product. And sometimes in 
annoying ways, but mostly in a really genuine, let me tell you my story and how this might help you too kind of way. Well, I think, yes, when you have that calling, I, that's what I, the word I use, that mm-hmm. you feel like I have something to share. I need to keep my focus here and not over there. My follow-up question would be for people who, we see a lot of people that are in some sort of like middle category, like limbo phase where they're kind of aware there's something more to life than just the nine to five and working for a paycheck and working for someone else, but maybe don't quite have the full entrepreneurial mindset for one reason or another. Maybe it's like how they were raised or what, you know, their views of risk, their thoughts about money, all these types of things get in people's way. Do you have any specific recommendations to anyone that wants to kind of better cultivate or do as a entrepreneurial mindset? First off, I want to establish my opinion, which is there's nothing wrong with nine to five. We need people to pick up our garbage and police our streets and take care of us in the hospital when we're sick or injured. I've heard people talk about how we, the self-employed, or we're the best, you know, we're the cream of the crop and oh, the scum of the earth, or, you know, I'm exaggerating, of course. I have such respect for people like my husband who worked two careers, nine to five, has a pension, you know, pays the bills, all of that. But the point is he was a very dedicated worker in his career. Somebody has that yearning. A lot of people do. Oh, I've always wanted my own business. I think the first thing I do is some serious informational interviewing. That's where LinkedIn can really come in and help them because they're looking to do a certain kind of thing and they type in the search terms and then they go into their network or people that know folks that could come up in there. So I really do that. And I've done that whether it's going into a career or in this case, I, I knew in my heart this idea from my manager was a good one. I didn't have to do informational interviewing. But I think that can really help. And also just interview people about day-to-day life of being an entrepreneur, of having your own business. What's the ups and downs of that? Where's the satisfaction? Where are the challenges? A lot of questions we're talking about right here, because that's a reality check. Mm -hmm. And then you could always find ways to have multiple income streams and keep that day job like I did for those three years. And then, granted, I essentially retired into it, you know, getting 64 by then. I think you, you really want to be prudent, might be a word, about how you approach this new possibility and not just like say, okay, I'm going to put my life savings into it. I mean, that's my approach because I'm not super risk. I'm a little risk averse, not completely. So I think it, it just depends. And watch some TED Talks, talk to people. I mean, I think there's a lot of resources out there books to read. There's so many possibilities. Um, First of all, Joyce, I want to thank you for kind of clarifying that a little bit better because I want my listeners to understand that I'm not sitting here throwing shade on anyone that does the nine to five. The purpose of this podcast is, is never to be like, oh, this group of people is better than that group of people for any way, shape or form. It's really just to help people who want something or want to be more true to themselves or want to really build something in this world to create a better life for themselves and their community to just have that courage or have that inspiration to go out and do it. Before we wrap up, I just want to ask yeah. one question. Is this like, how in the end uh, does it feel for you to have helped and continue to be helping a lot of people start and market their businesses and create what they want for their lives? Because you work with a lot of these people directly and you're helping mm-hmm. them. Oh, Maybe- yeah. I'm so glad you asked me that question. For me, the satisfaction is when I see a client of mine actually out there posting on LinkedIn or starting a Facebook group or whatever it is, and they take my advice and they run with it. 
and they start to really blossom and people start talking about them and they're just glowing. They're so happy. And so it's very incremental. Sometimes it's just very early on and they go, I didn't know you could do that. That's really cool. So it's there, like the teacher in me. That's what I thought I was going to be way back when. And so for many things, when I see people catching on and applying the ideas, that's more important to me than any amount of money ever will be. So I think that is what I find so satisfying. But I also have to let go of the fact, the outcome, and that some people will never take my advice. They will never change their LinkedIn profile. They will never get active. And that's their challenge and their decision. It's not mine to say what's right or wrong. But when I see them go for it, it's pretty exciting. That is awesome. And um, just to wrap up, just for people who would like to research more about your services, whether they be baby boomers or you said you work with other age groups as well, how would someone go about finding your, your business? I think the simplest way is for them to go on Google and find my website. And it's boomers, B-O-O-M-E-R-S, plural on the boomers, social media tutor.com. So once again, boomers, social media tutor.com. And on my website, they can see videos of me. There's a link to another podcast I was on last year, and they can find out more about my services. Also, they can download my ebook. That's another thing to read my nine chapter, nine ways to stand out on LinkedIn ebook. It's free. And it's a very good way for them to get acquainted with the type of information I would share in a LinkedIn session. And uh, maybe some of my millennial listeners would want to recommend this to their parents if you're frustrated and always trying to show them how to do their social media stuff and they come up to you and ask, like, how do I make this post and things like that? Happy to help them. And that would be fantastic. So Joyce, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's a very, very good, very inspiring story. A lot of great ideas to think about, about not having to necessarily have your own, not Isaac Newton type of moment where the apple hits you on the head and you suddenly realize like poof. And also the importance of having a good community. It's been said probably at nauseam that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time around. Very important to surround yourself with the people who are going to encourage you say, oh, I want you to succeed. And even if they give you constructive criticism, even if they say, oh, this might not be your idea, it's not out of sour grapes. It's out of genuine desire for you to succeed. And so obviously, I hope you have those people around you. If you mm-hmm. don't, you can always tune into more episodes of this podcast. In the future, I will be bringing on other people who started businesses, people who started things like fitness challenges and community groups, anyone that kind of just really went for it and decided they had something they wanted to see in the world and went out and tried to create it. That being said, Joyce, thank you very much. It's been an honor to have you on the podcast and best of luck continuing to bring, to make more people's dreams come true, to be honest. Thank you so much. So again, Joyce Feistel, Bloomberg Social Media Tutor, has been a lot of fun, Stephen. Thank you. 